It's Tennessee Titans talk. It's Thursday night. We're watching Steelers Browns. We're watching Kevin Stefanski make Jacoby Brissett look good. And we're just <laughs> trying not to think about this past Monday. Talking about the Raiders and how two pretty desperate, although it's early, 0-2 teams are going to try to get on the win column Sunday. We got to move on, right? We got 17 games. You know, we're not going to let two of them decide the rest of the season. Vegas is a two and a half point favorite. They're 0-2 as well, as we mentioned. Derek Carr has looked worse than Ryan Tannehill. Why does Vegas favor Vegas? A little bit of recency bias since we just got our teeth kicked in on national TV. In a game where all the starters were out with 20 minutes left, which you almost never see, our line is going to be even more awful because LeBron is out this week, or he will be out. The Raiders have Mad Max and Chandler Jones, who last time he played here had five sacks. Oh, we remember <laughs> that one. Ugh. Yeah. They have Devontae Adams. Last week when we tried to cover a good receiver with Trey Avery and Chris Jackson, he predictably went off. And Adams is arguably the best receiver in the game, so he's probably going to have a big day. Their strengths match up really well with our weaknesses. And we just don't really have any juice because we'll get to the injury report later. It's massive, and it's just really sapping the strength of this team, which is the defense. And the offense, until Todd Downing gets his head out of the sand and realizes that we should just force-feed Traylon Burks the ball until good things happen... Is just going to be stuck in the mud because I assure you on Sunday, we're going to run a couple outside runs behind Dennis Daly. It's going to get blown up for a loss because Henry's going to get hit two yards behind the backfield. And we're going to put on those drives because we're being put in awful situations. And Todd Downing doesn't learn that when your best tackle goes out and you're facing an elite defensive front led by Von Miller, you don't run behind the backup who's playing next to a guy that is the smallest lineman in the NFL. He would be small 20 years ago. We all know why they're favored. John, is Landon right? The optics of how bad it looked Monday night and injuries, is that is that the reason why an 0-2 team is favored on the road? I think so. I mean, you look at what we've got on paper and what they've got on paper. They've got a lot of strengths that complement our weaknesses, and that's never a good matchup. I would think this line would be a little bit bigger if Vegas didn't have to travel you know, across the country, but, you know, they kind of get the raw end of that deal most most weeks. It's brutal. And like Landon said, our injury list, I mean, last year we, we set the NFL record for the most players to have played on a team in one season. I'm afraid we might do it again because our uh, the amount of players that we have on the injury report and the amount of players that we already have on IR is just enormous. And you look at the IR uh, list and you can only bring back eight of those guys in a season and it's just like geez we already we have we already have to start making some decisions and it's it's well, really it happens season to season you think it's more than just bad luck i mean i know it's a physical game but it makes you wonder internally kind of how it's consistently we have more injuries than the average team well and i've told you guys multiple weeks we don't play our starters in the preseason, and this is a product of that. These players, they are not being prepared for the season adequately. Yeah, you can do drills and practice all you want, but when you're going live and you're going against a different colored jersey, it's a different toll on your body, and our guys are not ready. I attribute our very poor start to the season to be because of that. So, Landon, Ron Tannehill... No one's satisfied with his play the first two weeks, but he's been twice as good as Derek Carr, and you don't really see nationally or even in Vegas, they're not talking about Derek Carr to the point that we're talking about Ryan Tannehill, I don't think. Why is he getting a pass, and why is he? Because he's been pretty especially bad these first two weeks. It's because his games haven't been 
on national television. So the first game, he lost to the Chargers. Khalil Mack beat up on his offensive line. He threw three interceptions. That was week one, a crazy week one that had a million great games. And he was kind of lost in the shuffle. Then last week, he was good. Then the Raiders offense just fizzled out. And it was more of the Cardinals had an unbelievable comeback. And then Renfro fumbled to lose the game. Then Carr really did anything wrong that jumps off the page. But with Tannehill, I mean, week one was awesome. But then week two, we saw a guy that is really just represents an amalgamation of all the problems on our offense to where he doesn't have time. He doesn't have weapons. He doesn't have the play calling. And he just looks lost. I mean, that pick 60 through to Milano was laughably bad. Like I was just sitting there giggling to myself because at that point you just kind of expect it because he has absolutely nothing going for him against an elite defense on the road in a big hole. That's the lasting impression people have. And that's for bet. That's kind of on him because all of his worst games seem to come in prime time. I mean, all the playoff meltdowns, this game, the Packers game a few years ago where we got blown out. Whenever America tunes in to watch the Titans, more often than not, Tannehill is putting up a stinker. All things being equal, for the next 15 weeks of the season, would you take Derek Carr or would you take Ron Tannehill? I would take Carr just going off of how he played last year. And they're about the same, but I just feel... And Carr has mentioned that this first couple weeks have been weird because it's the new offensive system. A lot of it's predetermined. Josh McDaniels is saying... On this play, you're throwing here. There's no changing the play up. There's no making reads, staying alive. And just what Carr did last year really impressed me with losing all of his weapons and having no offensive line and still being asked to carry the team on his shoulders passing-wise. I would rather have that guy than Tannehill because we were able to make it work. We survived the back half of the season using Tannehill as little as possible, just winning with the defense, the running game. But I feel like if I had to have one of them, I would rather have the guy that I can put much more of an offensive load on that I can trust to be good because Tannehill, his highs are better than Derek Carr, but he just can't get up to that volume for me because I feel like end of the day, I would take I would take Carr. I feel like he's going to bounce back, especially with the weapons he has and as the offense continues to gel. Big fellow, before you answer, I feel like it'd be really close. I, I might lean Tannehill. Landon makes a really good point. Tannehill was like Carr was for them last season, but more in the pandemic year, You're more in 2020. I think Landon, Landon's right. They sort, of, they sort of hit him at points last year. It is close, and I think, like you, I would lean towards Tannehill. I think overall he's more athletic when given a little bit of time I mean I don't think any quarterback can do really a whole lot with the offensive line that we have right now but if all things are equal I think I would pick Tannehill because I think he can make decisions better and we've seen Tannehill where he can be elite I mean it's been a been a hot minute and we've seen Carr we've seen him melt down a decent bit I mean he's been above average for sure but I just think Tannehill gives you the better chance to win especially when you're you know, in a tight game, in a two-minute drive, I would trust Tannehill over Carr. When you look at this team, they have talent. Certainly, Landis mentioned Devontae Adams, and he mentioned a guy that sometimes we talk on this podcast, who should people be watching? The Titans fans obviously don't watch Vegas play every week. Max Crosby is one of the best players in the NFL, and he is a lot of fun. In the last two seasons especially, he's just really kind of went to a different level. That's scary. Landon already mentioned that, especially when they're going to match up against uh, the right side of our offensive line. That's going to be a big challenge. Honestly, Adams is still, he's looked good out there, although they haven't got, incorporated him as much as I, I think they want to. You look at, they, they have some top in talent. They've even developed some guys. We were talking before the show about Nate Hobbs. Two years ago was a fifth round draft pick from Illinois, and it was it's immediately one of the better corners in the league. So there's some good things happening there. 
Generally, though, John, 20 years ago, they were really good. Remember those Rich Cannon teams and all that? Mm-hmm. And then right after that, they were really <clears throat> bad consistently for 20 years. Now, they've had a few moments, but they've even been kind of flaky even when they've had some talent. Well, why do you think Vegas, is it the brand and just the shadow of just the iconic former owner? Is it just just the colors and how people love this team and they're a big part of popular culture? Why do they get a pass for – they've been about as bad as anybody – for two decades, why do you think it's clearly there's a defunction, dysfunction in front officer ownership or whatever? Because you think about it, they've built everything kind of on not solid ground. This is not a program. Now, I, I like them and they showed a lot of guts going down the stretch last year. I don't want to, I'm not identifying any players in particular. I'm just saying they don't mm-hmm. seem top to bottom to me. There's always something going on, something happening. I think uh, it's it's a shame for these players because I don't think they have the same development even that we do or consistently the back end of their roster is good. I could be wrong. You, both of y'all tell me if I'm not. But if you agree with me, why do you think they're not considered one of the kind of bottom five or ten franchises consistently when certainly the, from a win win and losses perspective, the last two de- decades they are? Well, I think here's a couple of things. I think guys like to go to Vegas or even just – uh, recently, Oakland. They like to be out west. Great weather. Everybody likes to be part of a new franchise who gets this gigantic Death Star of a stadium. It's really cool. I've seen it in person. I've, I haven't been there, but it was in construction when I was in Vegas in 2000. I want to see it. I want to see looked, it with you too. We will make that happen. But I think guys want to play there, and obviously they're a very storied franchise. They've got a lot of history. I think the national media. They kind of give the Raiders a little bit of a pass because they're in the AFC West with the Broncos, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. Uh, I mean, that's a stacked division, and this year it's more stacked than it ever has been before. There have been years where that whole entire division was the doormat of the NFL, and you know, since Patrick Mahomes, since these guys start doing different things, since Andy Reid is out there, Russell Wilson now. I mean, I, 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 let's let's just say the the preseason cream of the crop as far as the NFL divisions and conferences go. Guys like that competitive nature. Vegas, you know, like I mentioned before, it's a desirable spot. People want to go there. I mean, <laughs> I bet most of the players are hanging out there in the offseason anyway. So I just think it's a cool place. I, I think the colors are cool. I think, like I said, they've got a lot of history. A place where players, both young and veteran, want to play and They've been able to attract talent, like you said about Mad Max. I mean, he's insane. And they got Chandler Jones and, you know, one of our old buddies, Jayon Brown. Um, He's just kicking butt this year. Honestly, looking at it, he signed for one year, a one-year deal for $1.25 million. Don't you think we would have loved to have that insurance policy right now? Well, you make a good point that they do develop talent. They always have. I wouldn't question that. But top to bottom... It just doesn't seem like totally professional organization. Oh, for Landon, sure. Landon, do you agree with me in them being a bottom five, bottom ten, and, and not really – they don't take the same flag for it that Cleveland did all those years or, you know, the Chargers and, and sort of these teams that and the New York teams where it's like, man, you guys do not have a clue. Jacksonville and so forth. Do you agree that they're in that realm? I disagree that they get a pass. Because every year they get memed on in the draft because Al Davis loves super fast guys and all the busts they drafted. They get memed on that for, is all, true. for all the coaching problems they've had with Gruden. And then in the early, like the post-Gruden era, then the early, two, early tens, the Carson Palmer debacle, them hurting, like spitting in the face of the fans of Oakland moving to Vegas. 
And then Mark Davis just being like kind of like a weird, like he's the, has this reputation of being like the least wealthy owner. And they're kind of like the poor NFL team. But, <laughs> so well, they have been, but they're not going to be anymore after the, like, oh boy, mentioned the Death Star. Yeah. That was the right. deal. If he could ever get on the other side of that, he he will eventually. But you're right. They've not poor relative to an everyday person, but yeah, like relative to other owners. I think that I would say it's been more like a cash flow issue. Yeah. But and I don't think that, like I said, they don't get a pass for it. It's just, it's more, I would say until recently, just general incompetence. And then the Browns and the Jacks are more laughably bad. So I think that's the main difference. And the fact that Raider fans are amazing. Yeah. No matter crazy how many times they, I, no matter how many times they, they move, how, no, matter, like, no matter how many times they move cities, they're always going to be a huge Raider nation. They're going to love their team no matter what, no matter how bad they are. I think that helps the team's image because like with the Browns up until like now and now they're the villains of the NFL, it was they're the plucky under, underdog that no one has any hope of them being good, not even their own fans. They just kind of accepted their misery. The Jags don't have fans. The Raiders always have fans, no matter what, and they always believe in that team. And that right. affects just the general perception because you can be a bad team, but if you're a bad team that has optimism and a fan base behind you, you'll look a lot better than a team without fans or a team that's just accepted that they're cursed. Which now that Cleveland has made some of the moves it made, hopefully they are cursed. If we go since 2000, where would you both guess the Raiders are of 32 teams wins this century? When was their Super Bowl? That was 2002. That was also the year they had the last two teams. Or I think Houston was the last team. So Houston, Cleveland... Jacksonville are all worse for sure. Those three. So, I'm trying to think if there's any team in the NFC because the NFC probably the Jet. Big. The Jets are probably worse. Now the Jets had a. Had no, a they had of some Rex Ryan and Chad Pennington. Here. You have to be pretty bad to be bad because there's some really dysfunctional teams. Landon got three uh, of the four that are below the Raiders. So the Cleveland, Raiders are, fit, are fifth worst. They are. They're 28th. That's really terrible. So Cleveland has the least wins. Yeah. Followed by you, this is the only one you miss, Landon, because you're because you're partial. The Detroit Lions, the Jaguars, oh, and yeah. the Texans. <laughs> so yeah, and then the Raiders, they have twenty eight in wins. That's terrible. They have one hundred and forty three wins and and like you said, I mean they, they have a Super Bowl appearance in there. And then the Tuck Rule game, they had good teams and they've been that bad for about twenty years. You guys care to guess where the Titans oh, man. are this century in we wins had, out of the thirty two teams? I think we're like nineteenth. I was gonna say I'd put us right in the middle. Yeah, yeah, we're twelfth. We're actually above oh. average because the uh, average would be sixteen. We are above average in wins, and I and I know we had some lean years there. You know, we had a pretty good first decade there, and then the last five or six years have been pretty good. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we had a thirteen and three season where we were the well, we were the one seed, right? Well, if it's yeah, two thousand eight, we've had three. Yep. We've had three one seeds since yeah. that counting started. Yeah, two thousand eight, and then last year. So, I guess what you're trying to say, Nathan, is that. Titans fans don't give up. 0-2 mm-hmm. this season is not despair. No, I mean, about- I guess I was thinking in a larger sense about how the Raiders – Lana makes a really good point about it. We all make fun of uh, when O'Boy was still alive and they would just draft like a non-football player that was like super fast. <laughs> but um, they're pretty inept. They're going to be playing for a lot in week three. 0-3 oh, is a big deal in the NFL. We're going to see a really competitive game. We're going to see a lot of talented Raiders. We're going to see crazy and, and good fans. This is a winnable game because they haven't capitalized on their strengths a lot. I'm worried because the momentum is just not good. But I think Buffalo, 
not to make excuses, would have dressed down, I think, most of the teams in the NFL mm-hmm. Monday night. I don't know how they're going to be at the end of the season, but right now they're just kind of clicking, right? Landon, you do a great job of guessing who we're going to see on Sundays. They're not going to release the injury report for a while. But what's your best guesses uh, for both teams on the injury front? Well, for the Titans, Jamarco Jones is already ruled out. Lawan is going to be out. Dupree will be out. I, I think he's been, he hasn't practiced all week. We're recording this Thursday night. Ugo Amadi, the same, hasn't practiced. I would say Fulton, I would say, leans toward him being out. That's it's scary because you're yeah. naming most of our defensive backs. <laughs> right, I'm terrified. Yeah. yeah, the ones that aren't already on IR like Molden. Oh, brother. <laughs> yeah, so I'd say Fulton leaning towards him being out because it's a hamstring and he's always banged up. Other than that, we should be at full strength. Everyone else is just kind of nicked up. And looking at the Raiders, they're going to be missing Trevon Morig, their free safety. He's their best safety. Yeah. Denzel Perriman, their best linebacker. Right. And then Renfro is in concussion protocol right now. So I don't think we'll see him, which will be huge because without Molden, yeah. our slot corners have been awful. Renfro's so played really poorly. Has that been injury issues? He's looked bad so far. I think he's just having to adjust because Adams just pretty much takes over his entire role of being that short target guy. Because you look at like last year, Renfro's route tree and his targets versus Adams. Other than volume and Adams playing more on the outside, it's remarkably similar. Like both of them do so much work underneath. It's just hard to fit both of them. And last year, Renfro had six fumbles, and he obviously Ooh. he fumbled to throw the game away last week. Mm. Yeah, he would still kill us if he were playing. But concussion protocol hasn't played all week, hasn't practiced all week. I noticed their center, uh, who I consider maybe their best lineman. I know Miller's pretty good there at left tackle. Andre James, is he a possibility? He's in the protocol too, right? Actually, that might be a good thing for them because Dylan Parham, our guy from Memphis, oh, yeah, yeah. has been killing it at center. Let's talk about our cornerbacks that are going to be available Sunday. He mentions a lot of names. One of the scariest ones to me is Amadi, who has played really well. Ugo Amadi, I really want to see him. I think he could get better with more time. I think that's that's a scary proposition because, like Landon said, we got so many other people out. Farley has not played well so far. And how surprising is it that we went – I know it's just two – Two weeks, but the eyeball test on Roger McCurry is so good. Landon scared the heck out of us when he's talking about it. He had like the shortest arms of anybody ever drafted that position or something that early. Yeah. And then the next morning when I was watching tape on uh, Traylon Burks, you see McCurry on that tape, and I'm telling you, they should have just given him punching bags. It made me feel better about him because he's so physical. He passes the eyeball test for me. How excited are you for him? And how scared are you just overall with uh, with just just our lack of depth for Sunday at, at corner? Yeah, I'm really scared. But, I mean, he does play really well. He honestly looks like an SEC corner, which is what we expect to have. So I'm glad we drafted him. I'm glad J-Rob got him. But, you know, he's still small. <laughs> I mean, he's not letting it impact him, which is awesome. But like you said, the defensive backs, it's just... A revolving door. I mean, Chris Jackson's on IR. I know he's not the cream of the crop here, but, but we he watched was playing him last week. Right. He was playing. Trey Avery was playing like guys that have no business playing in our defensive backfield, but because of injuries, they're pressed into action. Picked up Andrew Adams and Terrence Mitchell. Adams from the Steelers practice squad and Mitchell from the New England Patriots Patriots practice squad. When J-Rob makes these signings and they don't go to the practice squad, they go to active roster. You got to be thinking something's up with our starters and maybe they doubt that Fulton will be ready. It's just terrifying to me. And I at least like the approach that J-Rob is doing is taking guys from practice squads and 
He's done that quite a bit already this season, but part of me is like, you know, if they're a practice squad for somebody else and then pushed into a starting role here, like, I don't know he if no that's necessarily with injuries, the, so. right. That's not the trend you want. No. Um, it is very scary, especially with a guy like Devontae Adams and you've got Darren Waller, just two physical specimens who can really chew you up. It makes me really nervous. Landon, are you a sold on McCreary after two weeks? And what do you think his ceiling is? I'm willing to admit that I, through two weeks, I've been wrong on him. He's looked so much better than I thought. He's graded out really well by PFF. Like you said, he passes the eye test. I've actually been annoyed that we haven't trusted him to play more shadow coverage. Like when Diggs was killing us and Trey Avery and Chris Jacks were on him. I'm just trying to figure out why McCreary isn't in that situation. So he's he's impressed me. His ceiling, I don't think it's just super, super high just because he lacks the elite physical measurables, but he's going to be a rock-solid starting cornerback, too, for a long time. I think so, too. I think he has that potential for sure. Um, I like him between the years, and I love his toughness. We talk matchups on this show. hard to kind of imagine it now as playing really well and finishing a game. I hope that ends Sunday. If we're walking out of the stadium Sunday and we're happy, what's going to happen? Who's going to carry this team? I look at a few guys that have played really well. Nate Davis has played really well. And you see, like a hot lineman, they'll just run behind him and get going. Maybe that happens, right? Maybe we see Burks more incorporated and get some big third downs and we keep him off the field or something. Like, for instance, their linebacking core is not great. The middle of the field, which is a scary place for us. That's where my mind goes. Uh, we're going to have to break through. Uh, one of these guys that has not played very well for us on offense is going to have to get some key third downs uh, like uh, Bobby Trees or Burks or Hooper. We're still looking for a Austin Hooper siding. I'm real scared about Daly at left tackle. So hopefully this is one of those things we walk out of there and like, how in the heck did we pull that off? It's not that it's mm-hmm. a great team, but maybe they pull together. But somebody has to emerge if y'all were going to guess, who would it be? It's got to be the king. You know, that is our identity. That is our the face of our team. He has got to get going. And one thing that really has bothered me over the last two weeks is everybody just heaps on Derrick Henry. It's not really his fault that he gets hit by an untouched defender every play. And it's not his fault that Todd Downing runs him on first and 10 or first and longer. So predictable. Like, he, yeah, he had a terrible stat line on Monday night, but he was put in the worst situation that he nobody never made it can. Back to the line of scrimmage without getting never. Touched. It's just unreal. So I am confident that Derrick Henry isn't a guy that's going to stay down for long. He is going to be rebound in a way that I hope we just you know see something we've never seen before. We've got to give him more touches. I mean, he, even in Buffalo, he had 13 carries. We've always talked about Derrick Henry being in that 20-plus range because that's when he gets the momentum. That's when he does stuff. And uh, don't get me wrong, I agree with Monday. I wouldn't run him too much either. He was getting killed. Yeah, Landon, I mean, there's only so much he can do. Obviously, as bad as our offensive line has played. Well, I mean, where do we even start with that? And what matchups are, are most key for you yeah with Henry it's hard because the Giants game he looked really solid he had a couple big runs get called back on penalty and just the game scripts have been so bad like I was we were watching red zone and so many plays on first down they pass and then second and third and short they run and it's so much easier for guys to have high efficiency like DeAndre Swift is averaging like eight yards a carry Miles Sanders is at like seven and they have infinitely better offensive lines but they're also calling much better plays because with them, it's we're going we're gonna to put you in an advantageous situation and you'll make something great out of it. With the Titans and Downing, they're saying, 
Henry, we're going to put you in the worst possible situation. Save our butts and make something out of nothing. And now, thankfully, the Raiders, off, the Raiders' pass rush and their defensive front isn't that impressive. Chandler mm-hmm. Jones has been slow to start. Right. But at the same time, just our offensive line is so bad. That daily rear left side, it's like you might as well just cut out all the plays that have you running behind those behind either of those guys because you can't trust them to pass block it or you can't trust them to run block at all i honestly would like to think that after a week of practice we have a better solution than aaron brewer at left guard he how got is Radden's just always on the bench like how is he not better than brewer at left guard i mean there after are the practice week, in there if surely if they thought he was better they'd play him he must yeah. just not be as good as brewer yeah after the bye week if Radden's isn't playing over daily at left tackle i mean he's just a flat-out bust yeah, I would say the biggest matchup for me would be Simmons versus the interior of that offensive line. It's a pretty obvious pick because he's should be our best defensive player. Our pass rush is really depleted but against the Bills. You saw that once Dupree went out, just the entire defense died because we didn't have any pass rush. Now Simmons, after week one, we were ready to crown him because he was beating up on a bad guard, saying he's elevating himself into that elite, elite status. This is the game for him to prove it. Dupree is going to be out. Weaver is his only guy at edge. It's Weaver and Denny. Autry hasn't been good. The cornerback room is dead. If we win and this game isn't like 50 to 49, it should be because Jeffrey Simmons proved that he is the second best defensive tackle. He's the best guy not named Aaron Donald. He's worth just he's worth asking whatever he wants from us. And he's going to dominate and take over that game because they're playing Jermaine Elmuller at right guard. And that's just and that's a journeyman. If you're Jeffrey Simmons, if you want to be that guy, you have to show up and put the team on your back. I think he's right. I think the big matchup are both offensive lines. Sometimes they don't pay for how bad they are, right? And sometimes they do. And Simmons is going to have to make them pay with uh, Dupree out for sure. I worry about walking out of that game like we did the Giants game and be like, oh, neither one of those teams played great. When that happens, sometimes the scheme is what wins at the end. Whoever dials up the right adjustment and the right plays at the end of the fourth quarter. And I'm certainly worried. Uh, sometimes it comes down to a special teams miss. We saw that in week one. Does the play calling, not to constantly harp on that, uh, do you worry about with McDaniels there's a bit of a mismatch there in a close game? I wouldn't say it's a mismatch because I think our defense, you know, in spite of our injuries, has played pretty well. And I think we can take advantage of some of those matchups. I think Big Jeff is... Yeah, I guess I was more referring to the fact that someone's going to have to make a play on offense at the end of the game. Oh, for sure. If they're going to make something up, even with a crappy offensive line, and we're just obviously not showing any ability to do that lately. Yeah, oh, no, without a doubt. And I think... It's going to be on both both offenses to figure something out. I think the easiest way for us to mitigate those risks of having those big players like Devontae Adams and um, Darren Waller do something is to make our offense productive. You know, we get because they don't let's face it, the, the Raiders do not have a defensive front or rotation like the Bills. So if we make those guys tired, we can own them. The only way to do that is to, ha- you know, move the chains to get first downs, to convert on third and short. And that's something that we have to do. And that's our biggest weakness right now. <laughs> you know, and Landon, I don't know how many times you were probably screaming for Traylon Burks, you know, to be more involved in the entire game. But that's going to be something important for us to do. Yeah, I mean, and, he's, yeah. Only, uh-huh. he's only looked awesome after playing like 40% of the snaps. He's only like one of the five most efficient receivers on yards per outrun. And he's only like the he's the only guy on our offense that actually looks explosive vertically, so why would we play him? I mean, I really <laughs> want to see Cody Hollister 
Troy Carter, Jeff Swaim, Austin Hooper, Derrick Henry sets more often. <laughs> only, but only if we go five wide with Derrick Henry in the slot. Only oh, then will God. I be. Only then will I be pleased. Landon. Don't give me, don't give me, uh, Dontrell Hilliard, Burks, Woods, yeah. Kyle Phillips set. Don't, don't give don't. me something that's actually Ugh. good at football. Just give me something Ugh. that just makes me question why Todd Downing has fallen ass backwards into another job. There was some questionable, I guess, formation looks uh, with personnel last week for sure. And we know we don't do this for a living, but there were what Land is referring to. Uh, Henry out wide, I, I just don't. That just doesn't seem like his strength at all. He should Ever. be on the field resting or in the backfield. It just that seems obvious. Let's transition for just a minute or two to the league. For me, if there's a silver lining, it's uh, the Colts are as bad as I thought they would be. No one else did. Uh, that is hilarious, right? All the su- this summer and even oh. last week, Matt Ryan came to Indy to win a Super Bowl. <laughs> Crown him. Go they, ahead. Crown If him. you watch the end of the uh, in-season hard knocks, uh, Landon and I, a month ago, we went back and watched when they lost to Jacksonville to to not make a, uh, the playoffs. That team isn't worth covered. They make a scapegoat, whether it's Rodriguez or it's Wentz. They want a scapegoat, but really from the top down, that organization has some issues. They have some talent, not to just revel in other people's pain or whatever, but uh, that's silver lining for me. It's been... Uh, really fun to see that everyone kissed their butt all summer at ESPN and them just look just as bad as us so far. Well, and the crazy thing is they have defensive talent. Yeah, they've been banged up too with Shaq, Shaq Leonard being out and they look atrocious on offense, which was supposed to be their big hitters. We live in such a weird world where the Jaguars are the number one team in the AFC South. And it's just the thought of that. No, not only number one. Like they by far look like the only semi-confident team right now. Yeah, it's just I never thought we'd be in this position. That's good for us because we just need to somewhat get it together. I know it looks bad now, but we have something to play for. And I think in other divisions, it like we're not in the Chiefs division, so we'd be like, well, we got to do this kind of this week. It's not like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess it's yeah, it's nice for the AFC South to once again be a dumpster fire of a division <laughs> because Houston doesn't have any hope so it's really like the Jags have the easiest path going forward because they actually look kind of okay and mm-hmm. then the Col- then us and the Colts just have there's so many question marks you could see one of us just kind of clawing our way past the Jags to like an 89 record to win the division or you mm-hmm. could see us just falling apart so in a way I don't I wouldn't mind it if we won the division and we hosted a playoff game winning like seven eight games but at the same time and we've just been talking so much in the group chat, especially after like just the hot takes and the emotions running raw from getting our butts kicked on national TV. Like this current iteration of the Titans, as much as we love them, has run its course. Like it's it can't I'm not there yet, but I see Well it's like it's it's reached its peak. It needs major retooling. And for me, like if we make it to the playoffs and we host the Chargers, the Chiefs, or the Dolphins, do we have any faith that we could Sneak out of what I mean. I'm sure it's possible. It's like, well, it's like before 2019, where we're kind of like, oh, it's fun to be here. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I didn't think that the last two years. And so, I mean, it's a long season. But the writing could be on the wall. I think these first five weeks are important. I see what you're saying. I'm not quite there yet, though. But I, I, I definitely, I definitely think the life machine's being plugged in. Yeah. I don't want to, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I don't want to have that doomer mentality of it's week two, the season's over, just tank for the number one pick. But you're talking about how, Pre-2019, it was just, it was fun to be there. Those teams were on the upswing. Like, we had good drafts with young talent. 
2019 as well, like, we just had a great rookie class. And there's zero expectations. Like, Tannehill was new. We were paying him. Henry was entering his prime. Our offensive line was entering its prime. And now it's like Tannehill is, he's been figured out to an extent. Henry is post his prime. The offensive line, well, we, we all know what it's like. And we haven't had any good draft classes recently to have that influx of young, cheap talent. So now it's like 2019, 2020, 2021 was definitely the apex of the Titans, both before that and after that for a little while. And now yeah, we're so, on the downswing, and we're yeah, either we're but, retooling, or what yeah. I think is going to happen, we're going to rebuild. And for me, if we're going to be re, if we're going to have to rebuild, just looking at all of the question marks we have, I would re- rather have like the tenth pick than ha- than having like the twenty or the nineteenth pick, and saying, "Oh, we won the we won the division." Asterisk. It was we won it with a losing record, and we got our butts kicked in the wild card. Because <laughs> we've seen that with the Falcons recently, until they bottomed out. They would be so insistent on being stuck in mediocrity. Mm-hmm. Instead of having like the eighth pick, they would have the sixteenth. We did that pick. for years too. We did that when we were eight and eight. We were always picking like seventeenth. Yeah, and- but the, but the same thing. It's like those teams were on the upswing. It was with Mariota. It was with our young guys. It was all the like. Well, I mean, Corey like Davis years and years ago, we would do that, and it was not fun to pick eighteenth every year. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. I, I rather, get what you mean. At some point, yeah. we had to jump at the deep end of the pool. Big fellow, would you agree? Are we are we close? To that, to having to think like that, I, I'm more in the same camp as you. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, there's still some building blocks on this team, and it's not we're not in rebuild yeah. status because he makes I mean terrifying points. Yeah, no, I'm terrified, and I mean John Robinson outside of 2019, the drafts have been questionable. We've got Isaiah Wilson, and I think we should just call that a fluke because. <laughs> You know, because of COVID, nobody really got to know these players and should just forget that ever happened. But there are still good players that came out of the 2020 draft for sure. And And that was just a huge whiff for us. Then if you look at 2021, which doesn't have the excuse, Farley, I mean, he's still a project. He's played like five games in three years over college and NFL. Yeah. I mean, Raddins can't see the field over a 270-pound guard. Monty Rice... Is on the pup list, so it's not really fair. Molden's on IR. We drafted freaking Des Fitzpatrick over Amon Ross St. Brown. Yeah, I know that surprise, you... Surprise, surprise, is looking awesome. I remember you and I were both really pissed when that happened because we both had Amon Ross St. Yeah, Brown I will say you guys than... knew who that was, and y'all oh. were very... Uh, Landon was distraught over yeah. us picking a guy that he thought should have won the it seventh wasn't, round. It wasn't even that I knew... And now look. It wasn't that I knew St. Brown. It was that I knew of Fitzpatrick and knew how little yeah. potential he had well st brown was one of the guys i had watched tape on i thought y'all both i really wanted liked him. i know he hated fitzpatrick. i really liked him i i did not like fitzpatrick at all i really liked st brown and i wanted us to take him but didn't now, i would say this year since we're talking about like rebuilding versus trying to find stay alive and not bottom out like we do have plenty of good building blocks we've texted and i've listed out like we have eight to ten guys not even counting a few more names that I was kind of on the fence of just because they're so young and unproven. That's like, yeah, those are good young players to have. It's just our issues are at such bad spots and they're so extreme. That like the cornerback room, the edge room, the offensive line, the play calling, and we play a first place schedule in the AFC West this year. So we're, we have to play all the division winners from last year, plus the AFC West, and we still have to play the Eagles who look awesome. I mean, this is a case where we could try our hardest every week and with the injuries keep piling up and downing keeps being an idiot and just the offensive line is the offensive line we could 
be the 10th pick and we could have tried our butts off all year because we don't have like what, what I just said. I mean, the the issues we have are issues you can't cover. Yeah, I think we'll see how good this coach coaching staff is because I think the difference between maybe a four win and sometimes an eight win team is band-aids, right? And we'll, we'll see. We haven't seen a lot of adjustments from them so far. We'll see what the bottom is uh, or what the floor is, and we, we certainly hope we haven't seen the ceiling. I got a question for you guys, too. Okay. I mean, Vrabel, coach of the, reigning coach of the year, because of how he coached this team through a lot of adversity and into the number one seed for the playoffs for the AFC. Obviously, he's been questioned a lot about Todd Downing, and he remains loyal to a fault. Do you think he's just being like incredibly stubborn or is he naive? What do you think? I mean, because he's a better coach than this. He's got to acknowledge that there's a problem. Like he had to be sitting there, like even for week one against the Giants on that third and one where we didn't run it with Henry. He had to be scratching his head too, right? I mean, it, I feel like it has to be loyalty. And I believe Downing was like, I assume Downing was like his choice or. He put Downing's name in because it was an internal promotion, but I'm sure an NFL team could have reached around, hired some interviews, got a fun, young college offensive guy to come in, especially coming off 2020 when we had our best offense ever. So I assume it's loyalty and it's also just kind of defending his own pick because he's stuck with Downing so far and it's been a nightmare. And it's just so confusing because Vrabel was a really good NFL player on defense for a long time. He won several Super Bowls. He played on some good team on some great teams with good offenses. Surely he sees the on-field project and knows this is a pathetic excuse of an NFL offense. Yeah, yeah. he's personal friends with Brady. I'm sure they, you know, text about it and like <laughs> it's not like he's just sitting here, you know, not connected to the world. Yeah, and he I'm sees sure, this stuff. And, yeah, and he's, well, sure he knows he's what it looks like to Landon's yeah. point. I mean, the guy was a very good linebacker and scored 15 touchdowns at tight end in goal yeah. situations. The guy understands football, most certainly. Yeah, it's just so frustrating because our issues aren't even like, hey, we're trying. It's just the offensive line is so bad we can't make the plays work. It's Downing purposely does not put our best players on the field and calls plays or that actively run into the biggest issue, which is the offensive line. Like, all those tosses we ran behind daily when he had Von Miller lined up on, on top of him. After the first one got blown up for a three-yard loss, you just cut all that stuff out of your playbook because you know Dennis Daly and Jeff Swain can't block Von freaking Miller off the edge. Because right. <laughs> we've seen a lot of bad football, even with us, mm-hmm. and around the NFL. And recently it feels like when the bad teams are bad, it feels more often that they at least try to be good. Like, some teams, they're bad, and they just try and get the season over with. Like, they just do the most vanilla, basic, limperous stuff and just just kind of phone it in. But I've just seen so many teams over the past couple of years since I started watching football that have bad offensive lines, bad quarterbacks, maybe a couple of weapons. They at least try. Like, they'll run bootlegs and do interesting protection stuff to... You're watching offense. one now. Yeah. Pittsburgh has a terrible offensive line, and Trubisky's not good, and it doesn't keep them from trying. Yeah. No, and they're making they're making it work. Yeah, much worse. Right teams, now, they're winning a division game. I mean, yeah, much worse teams compensate for their issues, and it feels like Downing is just trying to make them worse to prove a point or something. Or he's just so completely unaware of how to coach an NFL offense that he doesn't even realize that when you don't have an offensive line, you have to game plan around not having an offensive line. Big fella, I'm afraid Lana's becoming that friend. You know, you ever have that annoying friend or? 
somebody that's always like in your friend group that won't quit talking about CrossFit or being vegan or uh, all their allergies. I feel like Landon talking about our. Or he's got a Peloton. I think yeah, but uh, he won't <laughs> not quit talking about his Peloton. I think our offensive coordinator is Landon's Peloton. I you know, and I it's, mean, it, it, it's not Landon's fault, but it's just right. He can't it's, get off of it because it's so bad to him. And, it, you know, it feels like you're stuck in this nightmare that won't end and you can't do anything about it. But it's true. Like, so Landon isn't the, the Peloton friend to me, you know, because there's some creative stuff. No, I don't mean that say. he's other, yeah. but it's like. Oh, right, 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 right. Some people you are like, oh, here we go. We're going to talk about this. Poor Landon, no matter what the question is, it's going to end on our offensive play calling. And well, I get why. But it's like it all comes back to that because it is sort of the immovable object one that's like I don't think Landon or any of us can really imagine with the way the game's been called, the last three Titans games have been called. It's hard to us imagine it's just like for sure winning a game. You know, everybody at work, like who are casual Titans fans, they're like, oh, yeah, our offensive coordinator needs to go. It doesn't make sense. It's more than your diehard fans at this point. It's your casual fans who don't watch every single game. It's your fans that occasionally tune in. Like, to me, when those people start to chime in with the same things that we and specifically Landon are saying, it's time to figure it out. Let's talk about it. Outside of Nashville, what we're most interested in in uh, NFL Week 3, for me, it's the hope that Kansas City just absolutely runs the Colts off the field, right? <laughs> That's, that would be my dream. And I want to yeah. see I want to see at least no matter what happens with us Sunday, the Colts get another L. I know Jacksonville's been spunky. I still would worry more about the Colts, but you never know. Um, we're going to have to win or it isn't going to matter. We joked about in our bigger group text, I made it a comment that I was regretfully leaving the Titans to join the Detroit Lions. <laughs> and they are playing in Minnesota, yeah. who are coming off nowhere near as embarrassing a Monday night blowout as we did, but still a pretty gross loss. Monday night, Kirk Cousins struck again. But the Lions have looked really good so far. They're they're one and one That loss was to Philly, who so far looks like head and shoulders above the rest of the NFC. They were still decently competitive. This is a chance for me because I want to believe that the Lions can push for a wild card this year because even though Jared Goff's a quarterback and the defense has so many holes, just their offensive line is so amazing. And they've been without Ragnow, who's the top three center all year so far. They lost their left guard last week. They've had to play a backup at right guard both games. And they've been, like, by leaps and bounds, the best offensive line by every metric across the board. Like yeah. I mentioned it's earlier. It's just all guts. It's just yeah. and some Hell, pretty good coaching. Lynn, they could push for the division. Yeah, I'm really interested I, to see how they match yeah. up with the Packers because I was yeah. not high on the Packers at all. And even though... I would be so great if yeah. the Packers sucked this year. I wish. Yeah. yeah. I was really low on the Packers after week one and just in general... And it kind of feels like them winning on Sunday night against the Bears is kind of making me want to compensate the other way. But just the Bears are so lame and weak that I'm not going to give them much credit. I mean, like you said, Big Fella, like this division, if the Lions can beat Minnesota on the road, I mean, that that division is all theirs for the taking because oh yeah, they're putting it all together. And it's really exciting because Jameson Williams isn't playing at all. Jared Goff is still the quarterback and their defense is still super young and is having a lot of issues. So if the Lions can go on the road to division rival, if they can survive Justin Jefferson, this is a team that's been so bad. But Dan Campbell is, I think, a really good coach. Just their personnel, their front office across the board has been really good. They've got so many young players and draft picks that I liked coming out. I would just love to see the Lions just kind of yeah. put their name on the, on the map because I'd love they're 1-1 one one 
They beat the Commanders. They lost Eagles, so I'm sure people are going, oh, they're one and one. They beat the Commanders, who are a mid-team. But it's like, they were going toe-to-toe with the Eagles for a bit. And I think by end of the season, the Eagles are going to be like 14-3 and or something. Wow. That game was like, what, 66 points somewhere around there? Oh, yeah. It was 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 38-35, and the Lions kind of scored late to make it a one-score game, but they held their own. And I think Philly is going to be awesome. So looking back on it, that's going to be a quality loss. Well, Lan, I want to steal something, well, capitalize on something you said about Dan Campbell. I was listening to him on the radio this week. He was on Sirius XM, and he is just such an awesome dude. I think we, as a team, Titans, have lost. Like he was talking specifically about Aiden Hutchinson and how he just loves the game of football. I don't see a lot of our players out there loving the game of football now granted we've had two losses but you can usually see those guys that love football like Jarrell Casey we were able to see he loved football we saw a bunch of those guys and when I look at our team I don't see a bunch of I mean obviously everybody loves football because they made it to the National Football League but I don't see those guys that jump off the page to me that love football and I always would have thought that Vrabel would have only drafted those guys or you know it would have only only accepted those kinds of guys I think, and I think that's we lost a really sight good of that. Point. Because we don't cover these guys every day, but I mean, like you, Casey's a good example is you didn't need to. I mean, you just knew. And you watch uh, Hard Knocks and you certainly, it, there's so much energy and passion within that group that you think it, it's not even sustainable. Like, I don't know how Campbell even deals because he's just all on, all passion all the time. I mean, he better be on like some serious like blood thinners or blood pressure medication because I'm sure he just like wakes up in the morning and does a thousand push-ups just to eat breakfast. Uh, I mean, he's unreal. But sorry, I, I took us down a different road, but I think it is something important. But I wanted to touch on, too, a game I'm pumped about. Like, obviously, I do want the Chiefs to dismantle the Colts in a way that isn't even human. But how fun is that Bills at Dolphins game going to be to watch? Yeah, that was too obvious a pick for me, plus my Lions fandom. But yeah, that's just... <laughs> That's super exciting because Dolphins play the Bills a lot better in Miami than in Buffalo where they get yeah. killed in Buffalo. But it should be big shootout in theory because Miami... Well, after the two is showing, it's it, the hype's there because and we know how Buffalo is. Yeah, so it's Buffalo who looks like just a well-oiled machine on all fronts mm-hmm. versus the fastest offense in the NFL that just had a comeback for the ages. Yeah. It's gonna, I'm super excited because... Dolphins' defense doesn't look too good by most metrics because they had a really bad game against the Ravens. That was kind of skewed by because they gave up like two or three 70-yard touchdowns. But other than that, they have the playmakers on defense to survive Josh Allen and the Bills. And then on offense, if Tua has woken up and he's found his rhythm and his confidence, they could easily be an unstoppable team on offense because Hill and Waddle alone is like two of the three fastest players in the NFL. And you could see in the fourth quarter, like when they're cooking and when they're in rhythm, it's literally impossible to guard because you can't cover two guys that run like a 4-2-5 at the same time. Yeah. The going to be the first person in 50 years to move from Nashville to Detroit instead of the other way around. <laughs> Ew, no. No. No, I'm a, I, I can be, be that a fan bad. of a team without living there. Those Land, upper Midwest uh, cities in the summer, they're not bad at all. They're fun. Lynn, if you can make a nice life in Cleveland for 40 grand a year, <laughs> I can't even imagine what kind of nice life you can make in Detroit for 40 grand a year. I don't know. Everybody that's still there, they're your kind of people. I'll just say yeah. that. The winners are your not kind of thing. But. I'm, I just pulled this up real quick. So sorry, jumping back. But. 
Dolphins Bills, the over under is 52 and a half. I would smash that over so hard. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to get people to do that. Yeah. That's a bait. Yeah, they, yeah, because the Dolphins defense is good. The Bills is interesting because they're really banged up. I think they had like 10, 11 players on injury, on the injury report. I couldn't tell on Monday. <laughs> well, a lot of that stuff happened on Monday because they had like four or five guys go down. No, so I I'll be still couldn't tell. I'll be interested to see just how the injury report for that game goes because if the Bills defense isn't that 100% or close to, like I think Hyde is injured. Obviously, Dane Jackson probably isn't going to play this week. The defensive line's banged up. Like if they're not full go, I mean, I doubt Tua throws for 470 yards and six touchdowns again. But he's all set for another big game. And as someone who has just been out on Tua, just pretty much his whole NFL career, once he kept, once he had meaningful starts under his belt, he just didn't look the part. No, I'm glad he's. I'm glad he's just. I hope he. He didn't look the part for most of that game until he just started flinging it. I honestly think they should just absolutely shoot downfield, open everything up because Waddle and oh boy, Waddle and Hill chucking it. That was super fun, but they only did that because they had to. Well, and that's the kind of game the NFL wants. I mean, and they're they're suited perfectly for it. Like, <laughs> unreal. Tua, he's got, so 83 attempts, 59 completions, 739 yards in two games, seven touchdowns, two picks, 116.5 quarterback rating. I mean, like you're saying, let it rip. You paid Tyreek Hill a billion dollars. You got Waddle on a controlled contract. You franchised Gusecki, Landon, your favorite player. <laughs> he did. He um, did have a really good touchdown, and then the, uh, a really embarrassing celebration. Really embarrassing dance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very. We, we white, were doing our fantasy draft, guys, and uh, I was with these two guys um, over the line, and it was like I was like, "What about Gasecki?" And Landon's like, "He was like so passive, and he's like, what? Gasecki stinks.'" <laughs> <laughs> oh, I would kill for Gasecki right now, Land. And you're right. That end zone dance was. <laughs> not good this nfl slate looks to be it's going to be good just because early in the season so much is unsettled and there's just so much that can happen like later on it's kind of like you know who the good teams are who the bad teams are kind of what to expect right with right now it's like there's such a low sample size and so much of what we think we know about teams is biased towards just who they've played i'm trying to think like the 49ers defense looks super good by the metrics except they played in the monsoon game and then they played geno smith so it's like <laughs> we think they're good, and then in a couple of weeks when they play a good team, they could give up 40 points. Or like with two or Joe Flacco last week, like some guy we've kind of written off as just kind of whatever, or in Joe Flacco's case, like a washed-up old guy, comes out and plays amazing. Like, you look at the passing leaderboards right now, Tua is one, and Flacco is three, which is just really just bizarre to see. But it's also super fun because like you're watching a red zone, it's like, oh wow, Joe Flacco just let a comeback for the ages. That's super fun. I mean, that's the beautiful thing about football because uh, I did not see that coming at all. I, I would love them to serve up a lo- another loss to the Bengals. So at least you know. Oh yeah, yeah. I was eyeing that game too because the Bengals just they're in a weird funk. Like I think honestly that divisional loss to the Bengals and just seeing how the rest of the playoffs played out and just where we are now. I think it's kind of traumatizing for this team because like we talk about it so much like that was our year. That was our window. Yep. And we had it in our grasp and we let it slip away. And for the Bengals, it's even worse because obviously they lost in the biggest stage. You know, if they had blocked Donald for a quarter of a second longer, Jamar Chase probably has the game winning touchdown over Ramsey. It's a whole different game. Well, and then you also see how much money they spend on their offensive line and Burrow is currently, I think he's the most sacked quarterback leading yeah. in, leading so far. So, I mean, oh, easily he's on pace to be yeah. sacked 113 times. So it makes me feel 
a little bit better about our offensive line that Tannehill hasn't been sacked a thousand times. I mean, don't get me wrong. Yeah. It's not great. Our offensive line may suck, but at least they're cheap. Yeah. <laughs> Except for Luan, which we pointed yeah. out he makes, when it was 16 games a year, he made a million dollars a game. So he makes around that now. It's just. Yeah, but now, yeah. like, our stars probably are one of the cheapest, if not the cheapest, in the league because we have four rookies or journeymen of them than Jones. For, I'm excited for the Jets because I'd like to see them kind of dig themselves out of the cellar. Fun. I'm a Robert Sala believer. Everyone loves Sauce Gardner. Yeah, I mean, and he he he's, he looks the part too. So oh yeah, and it's doubtful that they'll push for a wild card just because uh, how stacked the AFC is. But like all like I'm, I think they're on their fourth and fifth offensive tackles right now because Dwayne <laughs> Brown got hurt. So like, if they can just fight their way to like a seven eight win season with all this offensive line issues, just have some hope for the future. I'd be super excited because I remember that feeling when, like, the later Mariota years when we went from being bad to being consistently decent. And just that feeling of hope of, wow, my team is good. And you go into a game thinking about how you can win instead of just thinking about how you, hopefully, you won't lose. And just having that hope for the future, it's like, we've kind of lost that because we've been good for so long that it's more like the pressure of expectations is on us. Which is kind of fun. Like when we were those Mariota teams that was sucked into the playoffs, it was super fun. And then 2019 was Tannehill, like having zero expectations, playing with house money, like B- Big Fella, like you were saying, just playing the game to play the game. It's yeah. just so much fun because when you have zero expectations, you've got nothing to lose and you're just playing football. We were throwing touchdown passes to ourselves. I mean, it was a beautiful day. That'll wrap up Tennessee Titans talk. We've had a really fun time previewing the Raiders. Hope we have a fun time watching this game. <laughs> I'm always somewhat optimistic. I hope we really turn things around. Appreciate the discussion from both of you. Appreciate everybody that listens to us. Find us, follow us, give us a rating, teach somebody how to use a podcast, and we hope that we'll get back with you shortly after the game Sunday with uh, news about our impressive win. Everybody keep your distance from Raiders fans uh, Sunday. <laughs> They're terrifying if I remember. I'm kidding. Yeah. Uh, should be an interesting dynamic on Sunday for sure. Uh, hopefully it doesn't rain on us. Hope everybody has a good weekend. Till then, tighten up. Tighten up. Tighten up.